Okay, hello everyone, and welcome to the Actus podcast, Talking CDI, the nation's only program dedicated to clinical, dedicated to the clinical documentation integrity profession. The Actus podcast is a bi-weekly program dedicated to bring you closer to the difference makers in CDI and sharing the latest news and information relevant to the CDI profession and to Actus. Today, Wednesday, September 25th, marks our 133rd program. So my name is Brian Murphy, Director of Actus, the Association of Clinical Documentation Integrity Specialists. And I'm, of course, your host for today's program, 2020 IPPS Final Rule. I'm joined today by my familiar co-host at left, Sharm Brody. Sharm is a full-time instructor for us here uh, at Actus for our CDI boot camps as well as serving as a subject matter expert. By way of background, Sharma has more than 35 years in the healthcare industry, including multiple areas of nursing and a variety of roles, as well as consulting. Uh, we're pleased to have her on board and, and uh, back on the program. So welcome to the Actus podcast, Sharm. Hi, Brian. Happy Wednesday. Happy Wednesday. <laughs> All right. Next, I'd like to introduce our two special guests today. So we have with us uh, Val Bicca. Uh, Val is the lead CDI specialist at the Moore's Alfred I. DuPont Hospital for Children in Wilmington, Delaware. Uh, Val has 40 years of pediatric and neonatal intensive care unit nursing experience, including case management, care management, managed Medicaid, acute care pediatrics, uh, pediatric and neonatal intensive care unit, as well as high-tech pediatric home care. Uh, Val served on our Actus Pediatric Respiratory Failure Work Group and is a co-leader of our pediatric networking group, which we call APDIS. Uh, she's also a contributing author to our recently published book, Pediatric CDI, Building Blocks for Success, and also serves on our regulatory committee. So she's very involved with us here at Actus, and I'm proud to have her back for her second program. Uh, welcome, Val. Good afternoon, Brian. I, I guess it's not afternoon yet, but close enough. Uh, yeah, we're getting there. A few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and then we also have with us today uh, Joan Oliver. Joan is a CDI specialist covering the cardiothoracic and CCU teams at Duke University Hospital in Durham. Before joining the CDI team at Duke, Joan worked in case management and assisting in embedding case management in the emergency department at Duke University. Uh, she has also worked as a legal nurse consultant, ICU nurse, and home care nurse. Uh, along with Val, she also served the ACTUS Regulatory Committee, and we're going to be going over a little bit of their work today. Pleased to have her on our first program. Uh, welcome, Joan. Welcome, Brian. Very glad to have you here. Very excited. All right. Yeah, me too. As I always do, I'm going to uh, start with a poll question related to today's topic. So I'm distributing that now on your screen. Um, and the poll reads, how familiar are you with the 2020 IPPS rule and its contents? Your options are extremely familiar, uh, very familiar, somewhat familiar, not familiar at all or other. Again, how familiar are you with the 2020 IPPS final rule and what it contains? Would you describe your level of familiarity as extremely familiar, very familiar, somewhat, 
not familiar at all, that's okay. Not everyone has had a chance to read all a thousand pages or whatever, um, or other. So we got about, looks like about 80% of our audience has voted. So I'm gonna go ahead and close this poll out. And we will of course come back to the results in just a few minutes. All right. As I mentioned, our guests today are Joan Oliver, Val Becca, Val and Joan, thanks for being a part of the Actus podcast and coming on the program. Um, so let's see, I know you guys are both on the regulatory committee, the Actus Regulatory Committee, which is a new committee for us. Um, we started it up, I think about a year ago, and uh, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more, but just pertinent to today's topic, you've, you've both spent some time with the, uh, the IPPS rule in its proposed form this year, as well as the final rule released in August. So I thought what we could start with is just sort of a high-level summary of what will be final for hospitals effective October 1st. Could you maybe talk a little bit about some of the payment or quality changes that organizations can expect to see? Maybe we'll start with, with Val and then we'll, we'll have Joan chime in. Well, um, the, hi, it's Valerie. I just um, finished reading the codes that are changing um, with us IPPS, and um, a lot of them are not strictly pediatric, so I, I kind of skim over them. But I um, really like the um, ones that didn't change, the ones that they didn't do what they said they were going to do. And I mm -hmm. attribute it all to the grassroots effort that we all put forward to um, sort of storm CMS and the others with our letters. Right, absolutely. Uh, Joan, what did, you, what did you make of the, the, the uh, 2020 IPPS final rule? Hi, Brian, this is Joan. Um, well, there was a slight increase in the weighted average payment of 2.76%. Um, while it's an increase, it was lower from the proposed um, projections. The biggest impact or the biggest change that I am extremely grateful for is the ECMO is now going to be going back to DRG 003. Yeah. So that is very positive for those who were financially impacted by that change. Um, those hospital institutions that house those patients. Um, there was a total of the diagnosis codes, there was a total of, a net total of 252 additional codes. And for the PCS codes, um, there was a change added 734 and deleted 2056. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm actually pulling up as we speak, just um, this is the, this is the cms.gov website and you're looking at the 2020 final uh, final rule tables. So what they do is they bundle up nicely in some zip files, um, some of those changes you were alluding to, Joan, in terms of the, some of the code changes and the MSDRG changes. You, you can find those here. Uh, as, I, as I do with every show, I will provide links to these uh, after the program uh, on where to find these. But uh, well, I won't steal Sharon's thunder. I know she wanted to talk a little bit about some of the <laughs> proposed changes and, and sort of what, what we actually wound up with in the 2020 rule. 
All right, so I'm going to keep Joan going for a minute. Um, remember back in the day, and I certainly do, they had proposed massive revisions to the CC and MCC list. Um, there was as many as, I believe, 1,500. Um, and we really stepped in and sprung into action. And can you tell us a little bit about um, the important work of the committee in helping arrest some of the majority of these changes? Um, and hey, thank God they happened, so. Hi, Charmy, it's Jen. Yes, um, there was proposed 1,500 changes. Most of those were declassifications of the higher three tier from MCC to CC and from CC to non-CC. And the regulatory committee, we discussed this and we decided to do the grassroots effort and it began at the um, national meeting last May where we, you know, kind of worked the rooms and we talked to other CDI members, physicians, and other attendees about the proposed changes. Most of them were not aware, so we were able to um, make them aware and their responses to it were surprised that CMS would be proposing such a change and we were able to then solicit um, for advocacy to, for comments. And then we worked on the templates that were posted on the ACTUS website for ease for people to go in and submit their comments to CMS. And right. I'm hoping, I hope that our work, I mean, obviously some work was effective, but I don't know how much of our work um, led them to at least not put the changes into effect this year. But I would like to think it was. It was too. Go ahead. Do you I, have anything to add? Yeah, I'm sorry. I was going to jump in. Um, I just wanted to say that um, it affected more people than we knew because um, I sent out um, a group letter to all of the Aptis members asking them to write letters um, and sent them the templates. And what I didn't realize is that um, one of the pediatric CDI who got the, the information from me sent it to one of her pediatricians who shared it with another pediatrician, and both of them are on, um, on committees at the American Academy of Pediatrics. And um, they, the AAP was very concerned because they didn't know anything about it either, and they were very unhappy. And so they were um, advocating that their members send letters. So it grew, like it went from our little group to a bigger group to a much bigger group. And I really believe that we helped to make this change. Right. What I've been and showing is you guys. One other thing? Okay. Yeah, go right ahead and go right ahead. Sorry. Um, I would like to thank Candace Blankenship. She's another oh, yeah. regulatory committee member and Dr. Rodenberg. They did a lot of the work on the templates. And I believe that the templates made it easier for people to submit the comments. And I just thought that that was a wonderful idea. And I thought that ACTUS posting it on their um, website and the request for advocacy, like Val has said, really grew exponentially. Right. Yeah, it was a grassroots effort uh, led by Candace, um, led by Alan Frady, who was um, serving on the committee and Howard Rodenberg, you mentioned as well, developing some templates. And I, and I saw many, many comments um, 
posted to CMS about the rules changes. Regulatory committee itself posted a great, very thorough comment on many of the proposed changes, but a number of ACTUS members commented individually or on behalf of their associate organizations as well. So we did have about 1,500 proposals, uh, but in the end, very, very few of these changes were carried through. I am showing here, uh, this is table 6J.2 from the, um, from the CMS final rule. There, are, there were only five deletions to the CC list. You can see those on your screen. Um, those are the codes and the, the, the deletions, you know, persistent atrial fibrillation was on there. Um, heat stroke and sunstroke as well was a deletion to the CC list. Um, there was a few additions to the MCC list. I'm going to blow this up a little bit for those um, looking on the screens. We have, you know, we had some um, subsegmental pulmonary embolism without acute core pulmonale, as well as multiple with without acute core pulmonale. We had some fracture codes that were added to the MCC list as well, uh, but no deletions to the MCC list and only those five noted deletions to the CC list. So the changes to those lists were, were very, very minimal. Um, this document, again, is public record. It's on the CMS site. I will link to it, but it does, and th there were actually many additions to the CCC, uh, <laughs> CC list, which I'm showing here. A lot of, um, mm -hmm. you know, there were some fracture codes, uh, resistance to uh, drug codes, for example, uh, that are listed here. So too many to, to run through obviously in detail, but we did want to point these out and show you where the changes did occur. Um, you know, I, I, I did want to ask you, Joan and Val, do you, you guys anticipate CMS coming back with sort of a fresh set of proposed changes to the list next year? And was hoping you could maybe talk a little bit about um, some of the, to our listeners about your advice regarding, you know, advocacy efforts, commenting to CMS um, to sort of hopefully uh, arrest some of these changes should they come up again. This is Val. I really believe that we need to stay on top of it. And as soon as they decide on what they're going to do, we need to be aware of it. So we need to stay um, aware of the lists. And Candace did find some sites that would um, notify you when there were changes. And so you know, I, it's hard to remember to check in with the website every, you know, every week or so to see what's going on. But there were so many that were so harmful to um, many people in the list that was originally published. And I think that in between them declaring, I think that it's important for them to continue to hear um, why so that what they're saying is not accurate. And, and um, I know the pediatric diagnoses are, are usually a big deal because Obviously, there's more sick children, more sick adults, and there are sick children, and so we sort of get like afterthoughts from CMS and and the rest of them. So it, you know, we're I'm always interested in what they think they're going to say, um, and there there are many people who want to know that too. I think I, I I don't like that they can just throw this out there and none of the involved parties know anything about it. I think that's really exclusionary, and I don't know why they have that power to do that. So I, I, I need to find out more. I think being part of this committee makes you um, more, anxious, more anxious to be more political, I think, you know, to want to get out there and do more. Mm -hmm. How so about I'm you, always, Joy, any thoughts? Um, 
Brian, this is Jan. I agree with Valerie. I think um, being aware, being on the committee and being aware and, you know, getting the proposed changes and then opening them and going, what? <laughs> um, kind of, you know, makes you want to advocate for change. I don't know if they're going to come back with a fresh set of proposed changes um, to the MCCCC list or they're going to repropose the same changes in fiscal year 21. Uh, but I do agree that we need to be abreast of it. And um, like Valerie said, we have all of these regulatory um, websites that were sent to us and you can go in and ask for emails when there's changes um, to them. So I would just recommend to people that are involved to be aware of the changes and be prepared for any comments. and you know, coming up with the rationale as to why you don't think that there should be changes. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be a member of the committee. I think you just have to be aware. Like, you know, you're, you're aware of what's going to happen in 2020. I said I wasn't going to say anything political. So we are making preparations for that. I had heard, I read an article somewhere that said in November they were going to reconsider some of the things they want to do, wanted to do this year. Um, but I think you know, getting the word out to all the involved parties helps. It just, it ha it can't hurt. It can only help. Right. I was kind of thumbing through a few articles that cover what was in the, the, the rules. So we have the, you know, the proposals and final ruling here. This is from our own website, actus.org. We can see a lot of those proposals remain the same. Um, we do have, you know, some changes to uh, a methodology for wage, wage index calculation. Um, spending overall spending on inpatient hospital services is increasing about three percent. And I had pulled up this is a executive summary from the HFMA uh, on some of the changes in here. I, they're relatively superficial, but there were some changes. Um, there's some information here on the value-based purchasing program, for example. Um, and here we go on the uh, hospital readmissions reduction program. So hospitals with higher than expected readmissions rate over a three-year period for acute myocardial infarction, heart failure, pneumonia, COPD, and elective hip and knee replacement, um, as well as uh, coronary artery bypass grafting will be subject to a maximum of 3% penalty. So it's important to get the diagnoses right for those buckets to make sure that you're, you know, if that, that can, uh, you know, show that a patient was uh, readmitted um, based on care provided and, and potentially move them out of those penalty buckets. But um, and some, so there, there were some small but important changes here. Uh, CMS has been adding back some payments that had prior taken from hospitals for uh, the documentation and coding adjustment or DCA. So they're increasing that by 0.5. That is part of the total 3% increase in IPPS spending. So for, for, for years, the year overall, uh, changes were pretty light. I think we might wanted to wrap up here. I know we're up against the time we have for the interview portion of the show, but maybe you guys could talk just a little bit about, um, provide some insight on how your organizations or just hospitals in general might review these final rule, how they could communicate any key changes to various stakeholders. We know these impact not just the CDI department, but coding, uh, the quality departments, physicians, obviously. Do, do you have any best practices for 
how organizations should take this and be prepared for these changes that are effective October 1st? This is Al. I, I wanted to just say that um, because I spend so much time with the different teams and with um, and rounding with them as well as meeting with them um, at their staff meetings, um, I usually gather the changes that will affect like orthopedics or the ones that will affect general surgery. And I take those changes with me and let them know, let the physicians know what's coming and what's going to change for them and what they have to document in order to capture what's needed. And they all, they really like that. So, um, you know, I think that more education is always helpful. And uh, the hospital definitely support, our hospital definitely supports it. Great. How about you, Joan? Any final thoughts here? Yeah. Hi, Brian. Um, I believe that best practices would include reviewing the CMS final review and tables on the CMS website and discussing the changes um, in payment and reimbursement with the finance teams and then coding and the CDI team should become familiar with all the new diagnosis and PCS codes, deleted codes and changes to the hierarchy tiers of the MCC and CC codes, and then disseminate that information to the stakeholders that need to know and service lines that would be affected. Um, the other thing is, is if people like to read or um, are awake at 2 a.m. in the morning, the Federal Register contains a lot of commentary that could be interesting to find out how they came up with the final rule and can add clarification on the processes um, which could be interesting to some members. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks, ladies. Really appreciate that. And uh, let's let's bounce back at this point to our poll results. Uh, let's see. Go ahead and share those with our audience. Again, we asked folks, how familiar are you with the 2020 IPPS final rule and its contents? So here are our results. Um, Majority, 61% said they're somewhat familiar. Hopefully now they're a little bit more familiar having run through some of these changes or fortunately lack thereof. 15% uh, very familiar, 4% extremely familiar, but 21% not were not familiar at all. So do you guys have any thoughts on uh, the results of our poll here? Maybe we'll start with, uh, with Joan. Hi, Brian. I'm not surprised about the not familiar at all um, based on last year when we did the request for advocacy um, at the national conference, there wasn't a lot of people familiar with the proposed changes. And it would be good if, you know, they would become more familiar or go into those websites that mm -hmm. we discussed previously. Absolutely. And any thoughts, Val, on the poll results? Um, it makes me sad that there's 21% that don't know, but um, I, and at least 60% are a little familiar. So maybe with being a little familiar, they'll look a little deeper and um, find out more about what's coming. I think that pe people tend to be in their little silos and plugging along, doing what they do every day. And if you don't pick up your head and look out, you like, I guess it's sort of like a groundhog. You just sort of stay down there and, and it's, it's a lot of fun to be um, out there and involved and, and 
watch what's going on. It can right. give you it can give you a little agita, but um <laughs> Yeah. So so if you would like to start again, I'll provide links after the show. What you're looking at here is an article on our website, actus.org, that has links to uh, the full final IPPS rule and the tables. So uh, check those out and um, happy reading, but glad to hear that there was not many significant changes in terms of an MSDRG perspective in, in, in the rule, which is all good news. And 3M is actually coming out soon with how it's going, what the changes mean in the APRDRG as well. Oh, good. That'll be it's good to know as well. All right, let's bounce over to our in the news segment of the program. Uh, again, in the news is a regular segment featuring the latest news and industry updates relevant to the CDI profession and Actus. I'm gonna go ahead and make sure I'm not sharing these uh, poll results anymore. Uh, just a moment. There we go. All right, excellent. All right, so today I'd like to discuss an article that got a, probably a couple of people's hackles up a little bit here. Uh, it's called Price Hikes Upcoding Drive Massachusetts Inpatient Spending. So I'm showing you the article from Modern Healthcare. Um, and just to re kind of recap what this article states, we scroll down a bit here. Again, you can find it on the Modern Healthcare website. Uh, commercial inpatient healthcare spending has increased in Massachusetts despite declining volumes, reinforcing other analyses that determine price increases are driving spending growth, a new report from the Mass Health Policy Commission found. So this is my neck of the woods in Massachusetts. Uh, but basically it summarizes that commercial inpatient spending across the Commonwealth of Massachusetts grew 10.7% from the period of 2013 to 2018, while at the same time volume decreased by 12.8%, according to the commission. Uh, that was primarily due to higher prices and patient acuity, although this uh, healthcare policy commission revealed that patients may not have actually been sicker. Uh, they note that the average commercially insured patient risk, risk score surged 11.3% from 2013 to 2017, um, which is equivalent to an additional 413,000 patients with diabetes or 888K with cerebral palsy. Theoretically, that should um, intensive care unit and cardiac care unit volumes as well as length of stay should increase, but that wasn't the case. Um, let me scroll down here a bit further. So there was some uh, interesting comments here from uh, Senior Director David Auerbach of uh, Research and Cost Trends of the Commission. It's a known phenomenon, he, he stated, there are industries and consultants who are formed to take advantage of these higher payments and higher severity levels. Um, it goes into how these administrators leverage electronic health record systems to mine patient clinical history and increase the number and complexity of diagnoses coded to maximize reimbursement. Uh, one commissioner called the findings sobering. And how can we put a stop to this? Asked Dr. Donald Berwick, HC, HPC commissioner and the former head of CMS, of course. Um, but what's interesting is, of course, the Massachusetts Health and Hospital Association uh, kind of rebutted in a statement that the report's very preliminary. Um, 
looks forward to working with this group to provide more context and perspective, which I think we're going to do here in just a moment with our guests. But, um, you know, one of the things we were just discussing prior to the show and mentioned here in the article, the expansion, the expansion of electronic health records and adoption of I-10 has enabled healthcare providers to bit more accurately and granularly capture patient acuity and previously underreported conditions. Um, so really interesting piece. It's, it's interesting to see how our favorite profession is covered by the outside news and uh, sort of how, uh, you know, sort of the, their perspective on the, 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 the cost the, the cost of healthcare going up, but some of the reasons why that, that may not be as apparent to an outside reviewer, an outside reader, excuse me. And maybe I'll start with you, Joan. You and I were just chatting about this sort of the, what's telling I think is the, is the period that they looked at 2013 to 2018 and some of the changes we've seen industry-wide in that period. Uh, do you have any thoughts on this particular article? Yes, um, thank you, Brian, it's Joan. I had read the article and yeah, I did get my feathers all up <laughs> because it does insinuate that there's billing manipulation going on. And when you look at the time frame of 2013 to 2018, most people in between there about 2015 were getting their electronic health records um, installed and also the um, implementation of the ICD-9 to ICD-10, which adds greater specificity to the diagnoses, which allows um, for greater reimbursement. So yes, it may be that they're paying more for the healthcare and the patients are not sicker. And those two reasons in my mind would point to, you know, the potential reasons why. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts here, Val, from your perspective on this piece? I think it's a little too general to really um, understand. I do agree that the um, electronic health record has made a huge difference in um, even what the coder captures because for once it's legible. Um, and the other part of that is that there's more ability to um, identify what happens for the patient across all areas. So, you know, there's um, using more knowledge to gather information from other um providers, for instance, the other doctors the patient might have seen. And so you, the person billing can actually know more about the patient. So, I, you know, I do think there's more information and that's what was wanted is that transparency, but right. we'll see where it goes. Yeah. I mean, my own thoughts, I know we're, we're everyone's concerned with the country's spending on healthcare. Um, mm -hmm. We have to, you know, we have to understand and folks that maybe don't know the inside story of what's going on here that, you know, it's it's our job, it's it's job as CDI professionals to capture patients' conditions. You know, these are the, these are kind of the, I call them the rules of the game, the severity rules for reimbursement that we've been given, that CMS has uh, implemented. And it's a mandate for us to capture and code all these conditions. CMS has repeatedly said there's nothing wrong with this. Um, it's kind of a catch-22, but that's what we've been given. So, in, you know, until we see reform, this this trend, will, you know, will likely continue. Well, I don't know if you had any final thoughts, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, it's Val. It's, so traditionally, we have paid 
patients because they were paid for patients because they were sick. I think the change over to value based may actually um, help us to cut some of this because we're supposed to be keeping them well. And so maybe they will get the services they need, the drugs they need. Um, that a lot of this in the traditional healthcare system is not, you know, look at the price of drugs. So people go without food to buy their drugs or they don't buy the drugs and then they die um, or they get sicker. So, you know, something has to change in the way we do it. And, and maybe value-based is the answer. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, appreciate that the commentary on the article. We're going to just jump over quickly to uh, Actus Update. As we probably all have seen, <laughs> I'm going to scroll down to a to a funny gif that my colleagues put together. Uh, last week was uh, CDI week. It was it's one of our most exciting weeks of the year and our mo one of our most fun weeks of the year, probably only second to the to the national conference. So we did a series of daily um, uh, games and and trivia, and we had a, n a number of giveaways and winners. So this here is our Actus uh, Facebook page. If you're not a member of our Facebook page, just go to uh, just go to Facebook, search Actus. You'll find us. Like and follow us on Facebook, as well as Twitter and Instagram if you're on those platforms. Uh, but these are our winners. Um, you can see here this this nice uh, image of me. We we were all getting our superhero gear on in the <laughs> out on the the back of the office here at Actus headquarters, and it was quite a windy day, and I kept losing my my uh, purple hat. But a lot of fun was had by all. Uh, if you still are interested in taking advantage of, of all of our sources, you can go to actus.org, um, events and education, and you will find our CDI week page right here. If you scroll down, you will see a number of very helpful Q&As with industry experts on things like outpatient CDI, physician engagement, CDI and technology, denials management. Uh, also here is our industry overview survey, which is um, a lot of work. We, we, do, we have an extensive survey on some of the hot button issues in the CDI industry, uh, as well as some analysis from, an, from one of our uh, experts on the advisory board. So check it out. It's, uh, it's been a lot of fun. I hope you all enjoyed your week of recognition and we're, we're pleased at Actus to continue to host uh, a National Week of Recognition for the CDI profession. All right, that is going to do it for uh, today's edition of the Actus Podcast. We'll see you back here in two weeks for our next episode, Vaping Associated Pulmonary Injury Syndrome. This is, of course, a relatively new phenomenon, been in the news quite a bit these days. In fact, again, my home state of Massachusetts has put a temporary ban on vaping. Uh, it just happened last night. We'll be kind of covering some of the ways that you can get this condition documented and coded based on the best advice we have now. So again, I want to thank Joan and Val for being on today's program. If you have any suggestions, as always, for future guests, ideas about the format of the show, please send me an email at bmurphy at actus.org. Take care, everyone. We'll see you back here in two weeks. Thanks, Brian. Thank you, Brian.